It's the 15th of October. I'm Arthur Falls. Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin. What follows is not investment advice. The blockchain is not a wheel. It's a massively distributed cryptographic ledger, and those can be reinvented. Today's guest has done just that with Kryptonite. It's been around for a few months now, and initially didn't leap out at me from the noise of altcoins until JD, also known as Bitfreak, suggested I check it out. The first thing I noticed was a slew of powerful features absent from other coins, but there's more to it than an exotic feature set. By successfully developing a blockchain scheme, known as the mini blockchain, which is resistant to bloat, JD has addressed some of the biggest hurdles in the path of greater network decentralization. With CPU mineability and a blockchain small enough for the average user to download and store, massive decentralization is achievable under proof of work. And using the smallest possible transaction size allows for the most efficient node it is possible to build. And the story of its creation is pretty inspiring too. Hey, what's your uh, skypline now uh, being not lost among precepts of water? Um, that is a phrase from Principia Discordia. It's a weird religion thing. But basically, it's don't get uh, misled by religion and like the people who like organize into mass organizations or whatever. It's awesome. Yeah, I know. I, th I thought it was pretty cool. Usually, I focus on like contract platforms, metacoins, next-gen platforms, you know, with tons of bells and whistles. But Kryptonite's pretty interesting because it's actually the first pure currency that I've featured, predominantly because it showcases an elegant solution to the inefficiencies of Bitcoin and the problems of mining centralization and proof-of-work, but it still maintains computation as the handicap mechanism. So it's, it's pretty unique. Yeah, it is very um, unique considering uh, compared to every other altcoin, it's very different on a very fundamental level. Um, and it's probably on this show, you probably always discuss um, coins with all sorts of advanced um, scripting capabilities. But here, we don't actually use scripts at all. Um, we just have a predefined, uh, limited set of transaction types. I'd like to look at, you know, the unique benefits of the kryptonite currency and then dig into the design peculiarities that enable those benefits well the main um thing that we tried to solve with um kryptonite and the mini blockchain scheme that's the scheme um behind kryptonite um the main thing we were trying to solve with that is the blockchain bloat problem which is the main scalability issue which um is a is a very big challenge for most um cryptocurrencies out there at the moment especially the coins that use um, advanced anonymity techniques um, like um, Monaro. Um, that already has a huge blockchain, and that grows extremely fast because of all the extra um, stuff that they have to cram into the transactions or whatever. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but that um, I believe that is the main reason why um, Monaro, why that blockchain grows so quickly. So what like, other stuff do they have to cram in? Um, I think it's it's all has to do with the ring signatures and all that sort of stuff. And so that's one of the other reasons why we didn't really focus much on um, solving the anonymous transaction is issue. 
um, because we just wanted to mainly focus on solving the scalability issue. And then maybe uh, later down the road, we will start focusing on um, an anonymity. It's, yeah, um, anyway, yeah, so the main focus was just solving the scalability issue. And that's what the mini, that's why it's called the mini blockchain scheme, because we have this sort of um, miniature blockchain thing. Well, it's not really uh, miniature in any way. It's just um, we can forget about old transactions. Uh, as you said, we'll get into that more um, as we move on. Well, yeah, let's go into the, the kind of the unique feature set and then let's uh, let's move from there. Yeah, um, there's a couple of new really interesting features that um, Kryptonite has. Um, one of those features is uh, withdrawal limits, um, which means you can only um, send a certain amount of coins um, from a specific address. If it has a withdrawal limit set on that address, then you can only send out um, a certain amount of coins per block depending on what, what the withdrawal limit is. So say it's like one XCN, one kryptonite coin per block, <clears throat> that would be the maximum amount that you could send out of that address every block. Um, and the main reason for having such a system is to um, enable secure zero confirmation or low confirmation transactions. Um, because when a merchant receives a transaction from an address which is limited in that way, then they can know, all right, if the balance of this address is um, a lot higher than what the withdrawal limit is, they can calculate um, exactly how many blocks um, before that address can be emptied, even if the owner of that address sent out the maximum amount of coins every block um, as fast as possible. The merchant still knows as long as they get their transaction into the block um, before that time, they are guaranteed um, to get paid. Because you guys use a account-based model as opposed to a transaction model for for determining address balances. Yes, that's correct. So that's where um, Kryptonite is very different. That's where it fundamentally differs from every other um, altcoin that exists at the moment. Um, so we took a balance sheet approach, is what I like to call it, um, because in Bitcoin, um, there is no... Bitcoin has no concept of balances, Um because the transactions are linked together. So if you want to make a transaction, you have to go back and find the unspent output or the transaction where someone sent coins to you, and then you have to solve the script. Um, and so you can't really... There is no um, balance written into the blocks of Bitcoin. You have to follow the links and um, calculate the balance by finding the unspent outputs. And that's why it's very difficult in Bitcoin to forget about old transactions, and it's very difficult to prune the blockchain. Um, obviously, there are pruning um, schemes where you can get rid of the unspent outputs. But here, um, because we have this balance sheet approach, what we actually have is um, it's sort of like a hash tree structure. It's a bit complicated to explain. Um, it's a radix tri structure. Um, but it's just it's easier to think of it like the same sort of hash tree which is in a block, the transaction Merkle hash tree. You can basically think of it like that. And the leaf nodes at the bottom... Um, represent what we call an account, uh, which is a completely different thing to a normal Bitcoin account. Um, a normal Bitcoin account is just a collection of addresses. But in this case, each leaf node, each account just represents one address. Um, so the account tree what we, holds a uh, list of every single non-empty address in the network. So it's basically like a balance sheet, and it has the final balance of every single address in the network. And so when a transaction is made in the mini blockchain scheme, 
um, all it does is perform some sort of operation on the account tree. So it might be like withdraw, um, subtract X coins from address A and send them to address B. Um, so that's an operation which is performed on the account tree. After any, after anything, after any changes are made to the account tree, all the hashes can be recalculated. And so there's like a Merkle root hash right at the top of the account tree, <clears throat> which lets you um, summarize the entire state of the account tree at any given time. And that master hash, as we call it, is stored in the block header. And so the account tree and the blockchain are linked together in that way. Coming back to the point that I want to make is that transactions become instantly spent always. Um, there is no such thing as unspent or spent um, transactions in the mini blockchain scheme. And so that is the main reason why um, we can forget about every single transaction once it becomes old enough. And in a mini blockchain scheme, that is um, a week. So once a transaction is becomes older than a week, then it's safe for every single node to um, forget about that transaction. That is why we call it the mini blockchain scheme, because we only need to keep track of the last 10,000 blocks. Is that an arbitrary uh, time period? Uh, it's not entirely arbitrary. The longer you make it, the more secure it is, because there are actually a couple of security trade-offs that we have to make in order to get this level of extreme scalability, there's actually a few um, security trade-offs we have to make. So there is an attack we call the secret chain attack, um, which could happen in the case where an attacker, in secret, they generate their own blockchain without releasing it to anyone. And then after a week, if they release that fake blockchain and a fake account tree to go along with it, if every single node in the network has forgotten about um, all those old transactions, um, then there's not really any way to go back and prove that it's that the attacker's chain is fake. And so the longer you make that period of time um, before they can forget about it, the harder it is to pull off that attack. Because right now, the attacker that would have to keep up with the legitimate network um, for more than a week in order to even have a chance of successfully pulling this attack off. Um, but the reason we're not really worried about this attack is because, um, as I said, it's extremely hard to pull off because it only affects nodes in the network who haven't synchronized in the last week. Any node who has synchronized with the network within the last week is totally fine. Um, they have the ability to um, know that the chain is um, fake. Well, they just they won't even bother trying the fake chain because they're happy with what they have. So the, the node will only freak out if, it's, if it hasn't caught up with the network in more than a week and it doesn't really know what's going on. And then it sees these competing blockchains and it can't really tell which one is the correct version because it can't go back and um, look at the historic data. And the other thing is, it, it'll only really happen if that historic data doesn't exist, if every single node has forgot about it. So it's really an extremely um, unlikely attack that'll get pulled off. We thought a week would be probably the ideal amount of time, um, not too long and not too short, because um, the, shorter, the shorter it is, the quicker um, you can synchronize with the network and become a full node, because that's the main idea, is you only need to download um, the last... 10,000 blocks and the account tree um, and the header chain. Just with those things, you can become a full node in the network. So, yeah, the shorter you make it, the more mini it is. And I suppose also the more the more distributed the the information required to stay faithful to the, the legitimate balances in the tree. Yeah, because the smaller, the smaller it is, the easier it is for anyone to join. And so Satoshi said um, the main solution to um, this increased 
difficulty of joining the network and becoming a full node, as the Bitcoin blockchain gets bigger and bigger and bigger, it gets harder and harder and harder to become a full node. And Satoshi said, um, basically, the only real solution to this is just to allow it to become more and more centralized and allow um, pools to deal with the mining and just allow it to become more and more centralized. And I don't really think that was an entirely good solution. So with the mini blockchain scheme, yes, things can remain a lot more um, decentralized because it's so much easier to become a full node and you can help out the network do everything that it needs to do. Um, you're not just a light node. You actually have um, everything you need to um, validate transactions and mine blocks and um, do whatever a full node can do. On the subject of the, um, what did you call that attack? The fake? The secret chain the attack. The secret chain attack. What about the familiar double spend attack that we have where, um, where a small, uh, a small fork is created and then accepted by 51% of the, of the nodes? Is that still an issue? Yeah, it's, yeah, that's pretty much the same issue as it is in Bitcoin. Um, but that's one of the things that double, uh, that withdrawal limit, sorry, um, solves because it's much harder to double spend, um, if it takes a long period of time to empty out your address, because if the address is limited, um, then you can only withdraw a certain amount of coins per block, and so it takes a long time to empty out the address. And so double spending um, usually works because you send uh, one transaction to one person, um, and then you send out one or however many, and then one of the other ones gets processed, and then so the person that you originally sent the transaction to, they no longer have the ability to redeem that transaction but here, since we have balances, you have to sort of think of it a little bit differently. Once you send a transaction to someone, if you emptied your balance, if you if your balance was zero, um, once you made that transaction, and then you sent out a bunch of other transactions using the same source, the same input, those other ones got trans, uh, processed before the first one, then whoever got that first one um, would be out of luck. And so that's how withdrawal limits um remedy this problem of double spending a little bit because it's so much harder to empty out your address or uh, make the balance zero. The other interesting thing about withdrawal limits, I suppose, is it adds a lot of security. If you can put, if you have a, a storage wallet, you can put a very low withdrawal limit on it. And yep. then when it comes to actually removing those, the funds, you could then increase the withdrawal limit for that single transaction, which would act as a time lock, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Um, we did actually think about making it so that in the case of a multi-signature address, if several of those addresses were provided, then you could all of a sudden unlock the withdrawal limit or bypass the withdrawal limit and instantly send the coins to somewhere else. So in the case where um, someone discovered one of the addresses out of all the multi-signature um, addresses, um, they'd be able to withdraw just a certain amount every block, but then if all the people who owned that um, address got together and combined their addresses, they'd be able to quickly just withdraw all the coins and um, stop the attacker from being able to <clears throat> steal too much um, out of that address. I see. That's awesome. That's quite a... Uh... But the problem, there is a, obviously we didn't actually implement that idea because um, then that would bypass the idea of making um, zero transactions more secure. Because then, obviously, if you could so easily bypass the withdrawal limit, then you could empty out the address very quickly, and then you could do double spending more easily. Yeah, it's a weird juggling act, eh? Yeah, so we had to sort of drop that idea and just go with the um, secure transaction idea. You've built Kryptonite and the mini blockchain scheme 
on Bitcoin source code, right? Um, yeah, we. I did actually originally want to start. I wanted to build it from scratch. Um, I'd want to be clear. I didn't actually pro, uh, code any of it. I had to hire a developer to code it because um, my C plus plus skills are fairly poor. I'm only a um, website developer, um, so I had to hire someone to do it. I did suggest that we start from scratch, but he thought it'd be a lot better just to start with Bitcoin because so much of it was already being thought through really well and it was just a really robust and stable um, framework to start from. And like, there's countless people like thinking about every little security aspect and so we thought if we started from scratch, we probably would have just been leaving too many attack vectors open and so we we went with the um the safer avenue well it's it's kind of like building a ship that you know is going to be leaky i think <laughs> so how did you get into this whole uh whole field if um you know usually you're used to these people who are like you know currency enthusiasts or or cryptographers i mean web development is, is kind of it's a far cry from you know the area of expertise a lot of other people seem to come at this with yeah no that's a good question actually um i was originally I heard about Bitcoin somewhere on the internet a few years ago. Um, I think it was sometime 2010, somewhere in that year. And um, so I got in the point where it was still like below $5 per coin. And that helped fund the development for Kryptonite. Um, it's just over time, because I was an early user of Bitcoin, and over time I just noticed that the blockchain growing, and I noticed there wasn't really any satisfying solution to this problem. And I felt like there needed to be a true solution to this um, scalability issue. So I just started thinking about it, and I sketched down notes. Every day I'd just think a little bit about it. And eventually I came up with something that I thought would be able to work, started making some posts about it on the forums, on the Bitcoin Talk forums, just got some input. And over time it just evolved into what it is now. And then eventually I was able to find um, this developer for uh, who I was able to... Um, pay to get it um, developed so it actually did cost quite a bit of money to get it developed yeah so that's about the story of kryptonite bitcoin developers are few and far between it's awesome that you managed to find someone yeah i was lucky it took a, um, quite a while to find someone with the expertise i mean the guy i found really is quite a genius in his ability to not only understand the scheme that i was proposing but then also um, foresee things that even I didn't and account for those issues. Yeah, that's... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, what's his name? Does he mind being mentioned? Yeah, I think he would rather remain anonymous. Um, he goes by the handle of Cadia, um, so you can find him usually on the IRC channel um, for anyone that has any questions. Which IRC channel? Yeah, it's just Kryptonite, just, yeah, just that free node. Cool. Hey, so I guess a couple of other... Um, there was another interesting thing that I noticed about Kryptonite, and that's the um, the difficulty adjustment. Yeah, that's another interesting thing. There's actually every, pretty much every... All of the specs are quite exotic. Um, so the difficulty adjustment and the, um, the block reward, um, they all change um, every single block. And so it's like a slow, uh, gradual um, change. Because I thought one of the other main issues I saw with Bitcoin was this way that it halved every few years or whatever it is, the block reward. I thought that was a really inelegant and disruptful approach because when it halves, all of a sudden the mining ecosystem gets entirely upset because what they were making yesterday, now half they're making half the next day as soon as the block reward halves. <clears throat> so I just didn't think it was a very um, 
intelligent approach. And so we went with this more gradual approach where the block reward will slowly slowly decrease over time. And as you said, the um, the difficulty will is a little bit more complicated. Um, it's basically like a moving window. Um, it looks at the last, uh, I forget exactly what it is, 1,100 blocks or something, and it looks at how fast they were um, generated. Bas- that window of time basically follows with the the um, tip of the chain, so it's only looking at some last, the time of some last period of blocks. And that, But that actually updates every single um, block. What's the equivalent halving time? Um, 10 years and... But yeah, 10 years, so the block reward will be half of what it started as in 10 years. But as I said, it will slowly drop. It won't just suddenly um, halve at some point. The reduction in dilution is really slow. Yeah, it is quite a, a long um, mining period. Uh, I think it's more than more than 1% of the total coin supply has already been mined, um, and we've only been got running for a few months now. Um, so I don't think, in reality, I don't think half time of 10 years is exceptionally long because if you think about how long it takes to like um mine all the ore out of a large mine it can take decades to empty those those mines i don't think 10 years is exceptionally long and um but the main i think one of the other good reasons for having such a long uh mining period is just so that miners always have um some good incentive to keep mining because a lot of the coins now they sort of like 90% 90% of the coins get mined like in the first 10 seconds <laughs> and, the, and, the, and you've got nothing left to mine for the rest of the time and so the miners ditch it and then no one else is interested in it after that and so the, the coin basically dies after that. Because you over-award the early adopters. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to... I wanted... Because the, the old coin community is so over-saturated with new coins right now. It's extremely hard to get your any new altcoin noticed um, in the community, so I wanted to be very serious about it. That's why I didn't have any pre-mine, um, any IPO, or any other early adopter schemes. I just wanted to make it entirely legitimate so that people could see what we're offering here is innovation, new technology. We really have spent a lot of time and money on development, and we're not just doing this so that we can pre-mine some certain amount of coins and then run off. That it was not the intention at all. Do you think there's room for another pure currency? Um, what do you mean by pure? Well, I mean, I spoke to some guys a while ago uh, from Altcoin Labs, and we talked about what makes an alternative cryptocurrency gain th- this enthusiastic reception from the market is typically a unique feature that um, that the market values at the time. So we saw yep. a phase this year of uh, where anonymity, or and toward the end of last year, where anonymity was the whole thing. It was all about anonymity. Also, for a while, it's also been these scripting abilities. And so, you know, you've got, uh, I saw a new one, Cora's coming up, which looks actually really interesting. But this seems to be what the, the, the market values, whether or not they will ultimately be able to achieve long-term traction is another, is another question. And that's just the risk that you take with a um, project like this. But with, uh, with Kryptonite as a platform, it seems like a really deep refinement of the Bitcoin pure currency, no frills. Yeah, it is actually in in the sense of saying it's a pure currency, um, because we don't have scripting and because the transactions don't link together, um, and because we have this idea of address balances, it is very pure in that sense as a currency. Like you usually think of having like an account balance with some money in it. 
you don't usually think about money in the way that you th have to think about it when you think about Bitcoin. Well, you don't have to, but anyone who knows how Bitcoin works knows that it, you don't think about it in terms of balances. That's not the right way to think about it. But here we actually have purified it into a really simple sort of system where you do have um, just balances. Um, but I, I don't like to think of it as like an optimization of Bitcoin. I, it's, it's more like um, an alternative and it has benefits and it has disadvantages, um, but it can't replace all the really wonderful and neat things that scripting can do. But what it can do is offer you all the banking functionality that you want. Um, we support multiple inputs and multiple outputs in transactions. We support multi-signature transactions um, and some other special types of transactions um, related to withdrawal limits. But yeah, we provide all the basic banking functions that you would want um, from a coin. And in return for that, in return for giving up all that advanced scripting, we get um, this really, really optimal level of scalability. Um, I, I highly doubt you would be able to beat the level of scalability in um, the mini blockchain scheme. But what you were saying about um, new coins being more popular with new features, the thing about kryptonite is that it's not really tangible. Um, on the surface, it just basically seems to be like a clone of Bitcoin, unless you understand underneath how it's working and it's got this really scalable solution to really big problems with blockchain bloat then you don't really notice it and you think, oh, there's nothing exciting going on here, really. But when you understand it, I think it is quite really exciting because a long time from now, decades and decades into the future, it'll be very, very hard to become a full node with any of the coins that exist now because their blockchain will just be so, so big. Um, and it'll take a very long time to download and process and go through all the transactions. So really, that decentralization, it's, it's interesting. That's It's a problem that I... You know, I mulled on for ages and then kind of gave up on because I just did not see. I remember um, this fellow Stephen Reed. He just dropped off the map, but he had this really awesome solution to uh, to Bitcoin centralization, which was totally inevitable. I mean, it's totally inevitable that Bitcoin will become highly centralized. But yeah, no one's no one's proposed any solution to maintaining a highly decentralized system. But I yeah. wonder, is what about block? What about uh, transaction times? Do, is there much of a compromise? Everything about transactions is a little bit faster in a mini blockchain scheme because you don't have to validate complicated scripts because you've only got um, like a predefined set of transactions, um, which I just mentioned a, a second ago. So everything is pretty much, and because they're they're smaller as well because they don't use scripts, so you can um, you get more bang for your buck. You can fit more transactions in every block. Um, so yeah, everything is a little bit quicker and a little bit speedier. And it also, um, because we don't have to worry about blockchain bloat so much, um, uh, microtransactions are also much more plausible because we don't have to keep that dust around, hanging around for however long um, because all transactions are instantly spent. Um, so when you're sending coins to an address which already exists in the account tree, it pretty much doesn't matter how small the amount of coins you're sending is. Um, it's irrelevant because you can forget about that transaction later. And um, all that matters is that we're not bloating up the account tree. And so that's why I said only to an account which already exists in the account tree. So if you want to send a really tiny amount um, to an account which has a, a zero balance, which doesn't yet exist in the account tree, um, it's a little bit harder because the amount has to be higher than the transaction fee. Um, and that's just to prevent the because that is the one aspect of the mini blockchain scheme which um, 
will grow over time is the account tree because as more and more people join the network, you'll get more and more um, addresses saved into the balance sheet or the account tree, and that will grow and grow and grow. Um, but right now, it's still extremely small. It's like 100 to 140 kilobytes in size. It's very, very tiny, and there's quite a number of addresses already in the network. So it's quite um, amazing how small it still is. This makes me think of <clears throat> this idea that I uh, that I come to quite often these days, a spectrum where you have on one end centralization and on the other end security and decentralization. And uh, there's this kind of heightened efficiency for going for a centralized approach. And the more decentralized, the more secure, the uh, the greater the, the blow to efficiency. But this seems yeah. like a way of mitigating some of that cost and uh, moving to a more decentralized and more secure model. In fact, this seems to be an almost perfect, you know, an almost perfect solution for a decentralized uh, ledger. Yeah, as I said, it pre I don't think you'll get much better than this for a decentralized um, cryptocurrency scheme. I don't think you'll get anything more scalable than what we have here. It's basically, it's reaching the limits because you've got this compact balance sheet and you've only got a certain number, you're only keeping track of a certain number of um, transactions which recently occurred. Um, so I don't think you'll get much um, more scalable than this. But there, as I said, there is a trade-off, and that trade-off is um, related to the secret chain attack and all that sort of stuff. Um, but as I said, that's, that, that's not really a huge worry for us because it's so difficult to pull off. The other thing I forgot to mention in relation to the secret chain attack was also the um, community checkpoint idea. So even if somehow an attacker did manage to pull it off and they were successful and somehow they tricked everyone in the network to start using their fake um, blockchain, um, we, we could just implement a hard-coded, a new checkpoint into the client and then um, people would update to the new client and then um, they'd know for sure that they were on the right version of the chain because it's hard-coded into the client. That's almost a, though this, uh, the secret chain attack that you describe is kind of like a one week or week long fork going in one direction accepted by, presumably a bunch of nodes would still have the, uh, the correct chain and you could, um, you could manually make that switch. Yeah, it's basically just like a week long fork, but it has to be secret because they have to wait, as I said, a week because after that point then you can start forgetting about old transactions. Um, but the whole, the only way it would really work is if um, all those old transactions didn't exist anymore and everyone forgot about them. Um, so th there are very there are a lot of different things working against the attacker. It seems totally like out of this world. Like you'd have to you'd have to match the entire network hashing power, yeah. build your own chain, and then somehow propagate that yeah. back and into the, the network. Yeah, because they have to do that by secret. They have to do that by themselves in secret with whatever computer they have so they have to match the entire network um, for more than a week and then even after that it's and they release it it's true it's extremely unlikely anyone would even still fall for it because um, people still have recent blocks and um, they'd have to do it for a lot lot longer than a week for it to have a chance of um, working yeah it sounds sweet like <laughs> it doesn't really sound like a real uh, like a real security hole I mean, yeah. it is, it's an attack vector, but I mean, you're climbing, you're climbing Everest to, to get there. Yeah. Yeah. But that is, that is the trade-off which, um, you have to make to get this extreme level of scalability. But I, as I said, yeah, I don't think it's a very, um, worrisome trade-off. 
the other trade-off, actually, which is worth mentioning also, um, is that we don't have the ability to do um, complicated scripting. So we have to give up that complicated scripting stuff as well. But I don't think that's really something that's um, a huge trade-off either, because um, in reality, Bitcoin has um, a fairly limited set of standard transaction types. So if you want to make, if you want to write a script which is not a standard script, um, it's very hard to get that transaction propagated and get it into a block. And it's getting even harder now because they're um, implementing all sorts of um, safeguards against transaction mailability. Um, that's the other thing worth mentioning as well is um, we have completely eliminated um, transaction mailability within the mini blockchain scheme within Kryptonite. Well, that's uh, that's something that's absolutely essential, really. Although, was that an issue so much with um, with Bitcoin, or was that more? Well, it is it is an issue with Bitcoin, but people like Mt. Gox should have known that that's how it works because it was known for a long time that that is how it works. That um, the transact the transaction IDs aren't um, are mailable, and Mt. Gox should have been aware of that, and they should have known not to rely on the transaction IDs. Um, but in Kryptonite, you can 100% um, rely on the transaction hashes, the IDs, because they can't be changed later on without invalidating um, the transaction. Given that you've achieved this maximum scalability and along with that you get the, the maximum distribution of it possible with this platform, how do we then bring that to anonymity, scripting, things like that? Well, you can't really integrate it with scripting um, because that's what sort of links the transactions together is because they use scripts. Um, so you have to unlink transactions in order to get the um, the balance sheet um, structure. But we are working on the anonymity um, aspect. Different block mixing techniques we think will be able to work with the mini blockchain scheme. Um, but that's probably a fair way um, off into the future before we start focusing on um, that sort of thing. I believe Coin Shuffle, um, that's compatible um, with the mini blockchain scheme with a few small changes, of course, but I believe that will be compatible with the mini blockchain scheme. But one of the other things I really think the mini blockchain scheme would be really good for is a decentralized DNS um, protocol scheme, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, name, name, name Coin, coin. yeah. Yeah, something like that, because that uses, I believe that uses scripting and it uses the old Bitcoin blockchain technique. Um, but with our account balance approach, it would be much, much, um, be a much more in intelligent approach for a DNS system. Um, because you basically like, you, you're linking IP addresses to, um, domains. And so really what you want is like a list, um, of, um, IPs or whatever. And you can do that with the account tree structure. Um, you don't need to have this um, bloaty scripting approach. So I think um, one of the other main uses of the mini blockchain scheme will be a decentralized um, DNS system. Could that be integrated directly into Kryptonite? Uh, possibly. I haven't really thought about that. Um, that'd be an interesting idea. We'd have to make a lot of changes to the to the protocol, so it would be something requiring a hard fork, I believe. So it wouldn't be entirely simple. But it seems like, you know, you've obviously got someone who knows what they're talking about. How many how many people are working on Kryptonite? Um, it's actually just uh, me and that one developer that I spoke about. We've also got um, another guy who briefly um, did a little bit of work for us. But other than that, yeah, it's just um, 
me and my main developer. As I said, he's a genius and he gets a lot of work done really fast. <laughs> They're out there, right? These people, like, how do they do it? I don't know. I uh, know. At one point, I thought he might be Satoshi. Like, Are you Satoshi? And he's like, no, no. Yeah, but he, he convinced me that he wasn't. Um, but I, yeah, he is um, quite an intelligent guy. Have you had much involvement with people in other projects? And uh, have you, as the mini blockchain scheme as an idea, have you managed to gain traction and and uh, kind of encouraging other people to look at it and adapt it to their ends? Well, I've had a lot of people actually, um, other altcoin um, founders contact me and they're asking how can I adapt my coin to use them in blockchain scheme. Unfortunately, the sad answer is always, if your coin uses scripting well, then you can't really um, transform it into a mini blockchain scheme because you need to be able to delink the transactions. And scripting obviously links them together in a way where you can't delink them. You can actually, you could sort of store the scripts in the account tree, but we didn't take that approach. I think the people working on the um, the peer shares project and what they were thinking about doing was. Um, what I just mentioned, storing the scripts in the account tree instead of just the balances. Because what we have is basically just numbers in the account tree, just balances. Um, we don't have scripts at all. Nothing in the system um, uses scripts at all. Yeah, yeah. As I said, it's just hard. It's, it's not a tangible solution. It's hard to see why it's different from Bitcoin unless you actually look at the code. The code is extensively different. I'd, um, I'd guarantee there isn't any other... Um, altcoin out there which has modified so much of the core bitcoin code well don't hold me to that maybe there is but like, we're, in the, <laughs> we're in the top three <laughs> yeah fair call hey um is there anything else you want to cover well we're um, here uh maybe briefly i just wanted to mention lastly with uh, um about the dynamic block size because that's one thing um i didn't mention yet um with bitcoin the maximum block size is uh one or two megabytes per block and so the maximum rate of transactions is uh, seven transactions uh, per block. And if they wanted to increase that uh, limit, they'd have to uh, do a hard fork and increase the maximum block size. Which um, I think they're doing. Yeah, they may be doing that soon. I'm not sure. Um, they may have to if the transaction rate um, keeps growing too quickly. But the reason they're very hesitant to increase the maximum block size is because of blockchain bloat. So if you increase the maximum block size, then you can fit more transactions into a block and then the blockchain will grow even faster over time. And so there's people for it and there's people against it. Um, but in our case, we really don't have to worry about blockchain bloat that much because we can just forget about every single old transaction um, once it's old enough. Um, and the dynamic maximum block size that we have in Kryptonite ensures that we'll never have to um, mess around with the block size. So I think it's twice the average block size of the last 100 blocks, that is the um, block size, the maximum block size of the current block is um, that formula, what I just said. And so it will grow, it's dynamic, it will increase over time as the rate of transactions increases. So it will be an organic um, solution to that problem. That's an interesting word that you've, uh, that you chose there because it's, you know, the organic growth of these networks, you know, absorbing what's yep. thrown at them is is kind of what makes them special and what uh, yep. what empowers them. Yeah, that's why everything in Kryptonite is like slowly, gradually changes and it's there's no large shifts and changes in the network. Nothing that will suddenly upset people participating in the network. 
So everything is organic and as smooth as possible. Do you have an email address where people can contact you or like one that you don't mind getting spammed? Yeah, yeah, uh, just um, contact at cryptonite.info. You can just find that on the website. There's a contact page and you can fill out the form and whatever. Um, but usually we're on the IRC on Freenode, just hash cryptonite at Freenode. So, I mean, I guess before I go, though, um, I may as well get some bio. As far as education and, you know, you started using you started using Bitcoin like way back in the day. Did you read about it on uh, Boing Boing? No, I can't remember exactly where I read it. It was somewhere. Um, I think it might have been like a conspiracy forum or something. And someone's like, oh, the New World Order is trying to implement <laughs> digital currency or something. Um, yeah, but I, I can't remember exactly where I read it. Yeah, it's funny, eh? Like, it was out there. I remember seeing it at $2 on Mt. Gox. And, um, ah, don't be silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even when I first um, learned about it, I think it was 4 or $5. And I'm like, geez, it's more than a dollar. I'm not buying this. But I eventually, I eventually learn about it and I convince myself, wow, this is really amazing stuff. I'm definitely um, getting in on this as early as possible. And even a year later or a year after that, I'd still kick myself for not buying any the day before. Because you never know when it's going to go up or down. It's crazy. It, what killed me was I, um, I, yeah, I needed a computer. I needed an excuse to build a really powerful computer. And it was at two bucks. And I was like, that's it right there. I'll make bitcoins. Well, I'll just buy a, buy a, buy a couple of uh, AMD cards. You know, I think it was the 4700s or something were like recommended good cards for mining bitcoins. And I was like, there's yeah. a good idea. And my mate's like, dude, this sounds like the biggest crock of bullshit I've ever heard. Before you waste all that money, think about it for a second. I was like, hang on, you're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's what everyone said to me as well. You're insane um, for spending money on these imaginary things. But yeah, they, they, they don't say that anymore, do they? Do you know how many unique users you have? Uh, not sure. I think there's a few thousand um, active addresses right now. Active meaning a non-zero balance. That's one of the other interesting things is that you can quickly, instantly um, calculate the balance of any address in the network, um, which is not, well, it's possible, but um, it's a feature which has been disabled in the um, current Bitcoin client because it's so computationally expensive to find the unspent outputs and calculate the balance. But here, because we actually have the final balance in the balance sheet or the account tree, it's very quick, um, instantly, almost. For the longest time, I was um, I was all anti proof of work, yay, uh, yay proof of stake. But <laughs> I'd like to see, at the very least, a two percent dilution in any proof of stake scheme. Just otherwise, you're you're awarding the early adopters way too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of proof of stake, so yeah, we we tried to avoid that. Yeah, I'm I'm just. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, probably a diplomatic move. Like, you know, a ton of people. It's it's the new gospel. Certainly, I mean, I'm I'm a convert, but um, yeah. I still think. Well, there's... I don't I don't hate it. I mean, um, there are some cool proof of stake coins out there, and I think it does have um, useful applications. Yeah, but we just wanted to keep it as close to Bitcoin as possible. Like, we wanted to keep it old school. If that's the right word. I don't know. No, but we just but, wanted. Yeah. Yeah, we just want to follow the original ideals set out by Satoshi, but just sort of improve things which I really thought like uh, artifacts of the original Bitcoin design, um, things that really weren't thought out as well as they should be, um, like the halving block reward. Um, I don't really think that's a great, um, the way it works in Bitcoin, how it halves it's, after all. It's really clumsy, eh? Mm. Yeah, I, I don't really know why Satoshi did it that way. 
But anyway, it was good chatting. Yeah, totally, man. Good ideas, too. All right, no problem, Arthur. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening. Today's magic word is mini. M-I-N-I. Mini. Pertinent websites and contact info can be found in the notes. Thanks to Cesis for the tunes. Reach me at beyondbitcoinshow at gmail.com. <laughs>